Hey everyone, welcome up to another episode of Pattern, where we interview machine learning founders to learn about the latest and greatest in ML and AI. And today's episode is awesome. I interviewed a friend of mine named Sinan Ozdemir. He is founder of Kylie AI. Very impressive guy. He has a book, which I'll tell you about at the end of this episode, if you'd like to learn more about machine learning. And in this episode, I want you to pay attention to two things that Sinan brings up. One is how does he validate his idea prior to having any data of his own? And how did he measure the success of his product? This is kind of a core idea where before you even walk into the room to meet a potential client, how do you know it's going to work for them? How do you know that what you built is going to produce value? And Sinan knew that before he got into the room, which is incredible. I hope you guys enjoy, really pay attention to it. Founder and CTO of Kylie AI. Kylie is a AI for customer service. Uh, We'll get into that in a little bit, but first I just want to say congrats on the tattoo. Uh, he just showed it to me. It looks great. And Sanan, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's my first tattoo. I'm very excited about it. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's yeah. uh, E to the I pi plus one equals zero, Euler's identity, just beauty incarnate, really. It literally, it literally is. <laughs> no, I'm serious. When it was discovered in, I think, the 18th century, it, someone said, if there is a proof of God, this is it. It was such a simple and beautiful equation, like E equals MC squared if it's time. And yeah, I'm so happy about it. Oh man, it was it was great. Sinan and I first bonded at the <laughs> Lakers game over that tattoo. I remember <laughs> you yeah. said you're going to get an equation. I was like, Euler's identity, boom, boom, yep. cool. So yeah, thanks again for joining us. So let's dive right into it. So what is Kylie AI? Kylie.ai is a service that clones brand personalities to automate communication. So basically, what that means is we can go into the data of small or large companies, look at all of their customer support tickets, what's been said in the past, create an AI deep learning system that can talk like the agent so that when the company gets a new ticket, it's not necessarily a human that's responding, but it's an AI that's been taught by the humans at that company. So what they're getting is not only fast and reliable AI service and response service, they're getting it in the voice that they want. So they're actually speaking like someone at that company. Got it. So it's uh, kind of makes, uh, when I was looking at it, your, your site, it made it seem like you do twofold. You do automated responses where, you know, no human intervention at all, but you also do, you kind of complement the customer service reps, you know, acting like a personal assistant, you know, the, the Alexa of a customer service rep. Yeah, so we do have two options in very high level speaking. We have the option for if the AI is very confident in a very simple response. I'll give you an example. Let's say you work for any company that has a login screen. Uh, One of the number one questions someone could ask is, I forgot my password, what do I do? And that question is usually very simple to answer. That's why they put the forgot password link in the login page. But sometimes that question actually gets asked in the customer support. So what would happen is Kylie would see that and say, this is a really easy question. I'm not even going to bother the human. So I'm going to answer this question. So the human is freed up to answer the harder questions. 
So either way, whether we're automating or just showing drafts or suggested responses to the agent, either way, it's still empowering the agent. We're either freeing up time for them or we're helping them craft the best response possible. Got it. So you just completely cut down on that volume and just really help, uh, you know, further the magnitude of each individual customer service rep. Yeah, at large scale, you know, you talk about companies like Amazon, eBay, Walmart, Target, you can see up to 30%, 40% sometimes of their customer support ticket or what are called tier one, which are those, how do I log in? Where's my password? Those really easy questions, you'd be surprised, almost a third of the ticket volumes are that. So Kylie, you know, thrives on that. <laughs> I want to point this out because Sinan did something very smart here. He took his problem space and he segmented it into its complexity. So he said that, well, there's these 30% of tickets that are easy. They're, hey, what's my password? Where can I find it if I forgot it? They're common. You don't need a lot of complexity to figure out those answers. And it's intuitive. If it doesn't take a human a long time to figure it out, then we can probably train a machine learning model to figure it out relatively e easier too. This is much more difficult than something that's very customer specific or product specific. Now, the reason that's important is because it helps you avoid a trap. And the trap is, hey, I need to solve the world for my customer before I can bring it to market. That's, that's not true. You can solve a segment of it really well and it might be a big enough piece of the problem that the customer will want that. You don't need to solve the very complex things. And actually in the machine learning world, you end up getting higher accuracy models. So they're just simpler problems. I like to, it's another form of the 80-20 rule, if people have heard it, where it's 20% of the work can be done to solve about 80% of the problem. Another way I've seen this is as the power curve. So if you look at a problem, there's usually a long tail to that problem. And generally speaking, you can solve the bulk of it without really having to solve the tail. And this is just a very important concept to keep in mind with machine learning, because that's the piece that's more easily automatable. Sinan, you have done, you were what? You went into Johns Hopkins when you were like 17? 17. 17. When I went to Hopkins. Graduated 21. You did well, I got lecture. my bachelor's at 19. Okay. I finished my bachelor's at 19 and got my master's by 21. That's when I started teaching. So I, I started teaching at Hopkins in a local college called Goucher College in Maryland. So I started teaching for a couple of years, both high school and at the university level, master's and undergrad. After a couple of years of that, I decided, yeah, I wanted to make that switch Over. to entrepreneurship. Got it. And then you also, you know, sprinkle in a few patents here and there. Uh, <laughs> I saw that I saw that you had something on on cold vac cold storage for vaccines or something like yeah, that. Yeah, the first company, <laughs> the first company I ever joined, not started. The first startup I ever joined was actually started by a bunch of my oh. fraternity brothers in college, and they they brought me on for the summer. Like you you know math, right? I was like, sure. <laughs> So they brought me on, and in that summer, they actually taught me Python. So I actually learned how to code through startups. Oh. I didn't learn really how to code Python at all in college. So that's actually some, a fun fact about yeah. me. But yeah, in that summer, I ended up getting a patent for uh, the work that we did. Wow. So you, fair to say, you haven't done a whole lot. 
you kind of no, yeah, I'm actually a kinda, huge slacker. Huge slacker. Got it. Yeah. Take note, guys. <laughs> so that kind of leads me to the first thing. Why customer support? You know, if I had to, what was the insight there? It seems like you are almost new to that space or you haven't been in it. What was the, what was that trigger that said, hey, this is where I can take my machine learning expertise and apply it to an area like this? You know, that's a great question. And I hate when people say that's a great question, but I just said it. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, and this is true for not just data science, machine learning, and AI, but for most startups, the answer probably to a question will not come from the founder's head. It's going to come from feedback. So why customer support? It's because companies told me they want this for customer support. How do I know that? I ask them. Like I physically, as a human, went to them as humans and said, where could you use technology like this uh, in more subtle ways than that? And they said, you know what? Maybe sales, because I used to run a sales company before Kylie, maybe marketing, but you know what? We get 30% of these tickets and they're really easy to answer. Can you help with those? And we said, let's try. So why customer support? It's because they told me that. Wow. It's not some great insight that only I have in this world. It's if you listen to the customers, they'll tell you what they want. Fair. You know, but that that kind of hits upon a really central point, which is, you know, you went out and asked them, right? Mm -hmm. There's there's a certain amount of grit and hustle that goes into that. So it seems like you were starting something, you were doing something before Mm -hmm. that led you to this point. So what was the what was the thing you were doing before that? Yeah, before that we were is we were working on a company called Legion Analytics. And Legion Analytics was a fully automated sales platform where you could do lead generation, drip campaigns, CRM, the whole sales funnel in one, powered by machine learning. So that's what we were doing before Kylie. And that was, uh, yeah, purely sales. We were working on sales teams. But the sales market is very crowded. There's a lot of people who are in the sales business, mm-hmm. selling CRMs. I mean, sales, I mean, we're the people. We can see the Salesforce tower from here. Yeah, yeah. Was... So you got the big players and you got all the small players all competing for that, uh, that sales budget, which is a very big budget. So we went through the Y Combinator fellowship with that company. We got, we became profitable. I mean, it was a viable business. It was working. We had some funding and, you know, everything was going great. Uh, but we realized that there's this big opportunity in customer support. And we actually had to make this really weird decision. Should we leave or stop working on our profitable, viable, functioning business? And I say we, me, my co-founder. Should we leave our perfectly fine business, fire all of our customers, have no revenue again, just to start on this new idea with a bigger opportunity? And we did. We did. And, you know, for better or for worse, we stopped working on Legion Analytics. We literally stopped taking revenue. We said we don't want to be a business anymore, basically. We started working on Kylie. And, you know, fast forward six months, we won uh, Best Business at the Launch Festival, you know, hosted by Jason Calcanis. We ended up raising close to $2 million for a seed round and hiring a bunch of people to help make this idea work. And here we are now. Wow, so so like I that's said, amazing. Slacker. Yeah, slacker. I know, guys. <laughs> wow. So where are you now? You're two million, two million in funding mm-hmm. for Kylie right now. You're uh, headquartered out in here in San Francisco. Yeah, we're headquartered right? here in San Francisco. And Beautiful San Francisco. You were talking about a couple of uh, pilots that you got going on. Yeah. So right now we're doing a few pilots with some customers. I can't say the names, unfortunately, just due to the contracts. But we are working with. Companies who are getting you know, thousands, if not tens of thousands of tickets coming in, 
daily, monthly, weekly, you know, ranges, but we're working with these pilots in the hopes that we can actually make this proof of concept. You know, we can put out these white papers that say, hey, look, this works. This works. This mm-hmm. is what we need to make it work. This is what you get in return. You know, let's let's do this. And once we have that all packaged up in a neat little, you know, with a bow on top, we can start going aggressively on our sales. Got it. So how would you, you know, it seems like you hit this, people were telling you, hey, I would love to have this technology, this mm-hmm. machine learning for customer service. How did you know that it would it would work? How did you know it would be? We still don't. <laughs> <laughs> So how do you know that it works? I mean, work is, works is a very Validate, yeah, produce value that's, know, prior yeah. to anything. I think you kind of, that's exactly how I would phrase it. How do you know we're producing value? I mean, the easiest way is to, again, ask the customer, hey, are we producing value? Can, or can we somehow calculate the value that we're producing? So, mm-hmm. for example, with Kylie specifically, we can measure how much time we're saving. You know, we can take all the tickets that we answered as Kylie and all, all the tickets that we drafted and suggested and they used and make a kind of a, an estimate of how many minutes, hours per day we're saving their agents. Mm-hmm. So we can actually calculate it for them or we can actually just look at external metrics. Again, for customer support, that could be the MPS or the CSAT, customer satisfaction score mm-hmm. of these tickets coming in. So a lot of this comes from the customer but it can come from us, Kylie, as well. At the start of this episode, I asked you guys to pay really close attention to how Sinan was measuring the value he was producing. And these are his success metrics. In Kylie's case, he had two. He had, how much am I affecting the customer's bottom line? So he gave the rough back of the hand napkin math of, the number of customer support tickets that are automated times, you know, average response time required by a rep times an average salary for each one of those reps. And you have a number that number says, Hey, Kylie AI is saving you this amount of money. The other, the other one he had on the more subjective side of things was the customer satisfaction and, you know, try to make that objective can be hard sometimes, but in Sanan's case, he used an NPS score. And he said, hey, this is another number that shows this is how Kylie AI is going to affect your business. Those are just two key components to really showing people what your product can do for them. Uh, But then you you kind of touched on this interesting, I'm going to call it a debate right now, but (laughs) the idea that, well, what quote unquote, for those of you who can't see, I'm doing air quotes, requires human intelligence. Right, and that that the answer to that question is rapidly evolving. Mm-hmm. You know, you read any Forbes article or you know NPR. What requires human intelligence is different than what required human intelligence twenty years ago. Right. So when you talk about does this conversation require human intelligence, I don't know. Can I get the answer from your FAQ? Can I take the answer from your FAQ and package it into a conversational language? If so, I didn't really need the human to do that because you've already written it for me. I mean, if you want to get philosophical here, the human wrote the FAQ, <laughs> the human made the software, so sure, fine, <laughs> down the line a human was involved. But when you're talking about these conversations with customers or potential customers or what have you, a lot of these conversations, I believe, don't actually require the presence of mm-hmm. a human. So that's how I would phrase it. It doesn't require the presence of a human, but the AI, the deep learning, you know, the neural nets are learning from the humans to be able to get this far. 
Got it. And you say, you know, it's evolving that like the degree of complexity of a question to which, you know, you can produce an answer. Hey, I forgot my password. You know, that is pretty relevant across all businesses. Mm-hmm. But I would imagine that as you start getting more custom to that business, yep. does it start get it starts getting harder and harder or do you have a line like how do you decide, hey, this I can automate, this I can't? Yeah, it, it does get harder as you look into the very specifics of companies. You know, like you work with a company like Staples, their types of tickets coming in are not gonna be the same as Walmart's. Some might be similar, some might be very different. Mm-hmm. And that's why what we do is we take all of our models and we train them very specifically on the agents of that company. So, you know, if we were working with, you know, company X and they have a thousand customer support agents, we'll, we'll literally make a thousand models, one per agent. So each model thinks differently, acts differently than the other ones. So that when a ticket comes in, we can assign the ticket to the appropriate model and you'll notice I'm being very careful not to say the word chatbot because this is 100% not a chatbot. And I, and I know you're looking at I, me right I, now. No, no. I, I, actually, I actually 100% agree. I think chatbots do not imply intelligence sometimes. I think that they are more of a UI. Empathy. But they any, don't imply empathy. Oh, yeah. They don't. Sure. Oh, yes. That, yes, 100%. Yeah, like you're talking about the forgot password is the same across all companies. Sure, in the sense that they get that question, the way the company responds to it. You, know, you look at the Twitter customer support handles for different companies. I love to use the example of DiGiorno. Have you ever looked at the DiGiorno Twitter <laughs> handle? Because it's awesome. I, I love my DiGiorno. But it's yeah. amazing. <laughs> like they pretty much exclusively tweet back in emojis. Yeah. <laughs> but then you switch over, you know, next tab, you go to AWS, you know, Amazon Web Services. Mm-hmm. It's very you know, hey, I'd love to help you with this. Please contact but, us, do this. It's yeah. very different. Yeah, nice right? and tie, you know, yeah. professional. Yeah. And you can ask the same question to both of them. You could say, hey, DiGiorno, you know, where's what's your nearest location? Hey, AWS, what's your nearest like, help desk location? You're mm-hmm. going to get back emojis or an FAQ link. Huh. And that difference is where the chatbots fail. They don't know, they don't understand the nuances of conversation. God. That's what we're working on. This is a really interesting segue into, you know, what you guys are doing because, you know, that's, that's tough. Mm-hmm. That's, soup, that's really hard. How do you take that brand, that personality and emulate it? So you were saying you have, this is one of the, one of the things I want to talk about, but we can start at maybe a little higher level of just starting that, take a peek under the hood of, of how you guys actually do it. You were talking about connecting to FAQs. So assuming that you just kind of branch out into all the sections of data, like the internal data that the uh, company has or yeah if you could describe a little bit about you know how that works yeah so whether or not we use the faqs whether or not we use any information that's available to us from the company the way it generally works i'll start at a high level is when a company onboards with us they give us access to their customer support platform whether that's zendesk or something similar to zendesk and once that happens what we do is we ingest all of the historical tickets that they've seen over the past X months, usually six months or more, uh, up to you know a year plus is preferable. So we take all that historical data, we literally look at how they've said things in the past. And then what we do is we take our models and those models could be neural nets, they could not be neural nets. So we actually have a range of different types of models. And the mm-hmm. reason we have that is because Everyone speaks differently. 
So maybe, you know, Neil, his model is a neural net, but Sherry, her model is a form of a Bayesian network that talks for her. So we can actually employ different models into the same company. It's just whatever captures you the best. And we can measure, we can quantify what it means to capture a personality, and then we can optimize for that. This is where Sinan starts talking about the bread and butter of what his machine learning actually is at Kylie. So remember that machine learning is all about pattern recognition. And let's talk a little bit about what patterns Sinan is pulling out of his customer data. So when you have a list of these uh, customer support tickets, the patterns he's really looking for is, for this question, what is this response? And I usually like to put myself in the shoes of that person to really kind of understand it. So imagine that you are a customer service rep for Verizon and think about how you would train yourself to learn about that job. Imagine you had a list of all the tickets in front of you and how your brain would just start actively recognizing different sorts of questions. Things like, hey, what do I do when my phone freezes? Or why don't I have service? You'll just start seeing those questions come up over and over again. And the answers will be, you know, slightly varied in terms of what actual wording is, but the concepts will be the same. And you'll start to recognize that. And you'll just know, oh, for this question, I give this answer. In the same way, the machine will start recognizing it like that too. In machine learning, there are kind of two high-level ways to approach this problem, one called classification and one called generation. So uh, I'll kind of describe the differences between those uh, in, the same, in the same set of you are a Verizon rep. So imagine that for each ticket that you get, each customer service ticket, you had 10 multiple choice answers. You had to choose between, you know, turn it off again, stick it in rice, you know, go outside, you know, put your hand over your head with your phone, whatever. Uh, you have 10 or so options. You'd get really good at taking a question and just classifying it, saying, hey, for this type of question, it's always gonna be this answer. And for this other type of question, it's gonna be this answer. And that's what classification is. That's what the, the machine does. It starts to just say, hey, for this input, I'm gonna classify it into one of my you know X number of outputs. And the other, the flip side of that, that's kind of like, you know, having a multiple choice answer. The flip side of that is instead of saying, hey, choose one of these, it's saying, hey, here's a text box, write a free text answer. This is kind of what you would imagine how it actually happens in the real world. But a machine has the choice of classifying or generation. Now, the big difference here is that in the generative models, it can produce an answer that it's never seen before. It can produce something from scratch using the past data, and it doesn't have to necessarily fall in one of the you know the ten specified buckets before. Kind of real world examples of this are face recognition and Google Translate. So Facebook's face recognition is an example of classification where you say, hey, given this picture of a face, what are my you know of my friends? Who is this? You know, the multiple choice approach. And then you have Google Translate, which says, uh, which given any sort of text can then return to you any amount of text in a different language. Never had to have seen it before. It can just, you know, generate it from on the fly. And there are trade-offs here. There, there are big trade-offs. The, the classification one is a, a much less robust solution. So you're kind of stuck with those 10 responses. 
which is rough. You have to, you know, the more expressive you want to make it, the more responses you need. But at the same time, it also makes it much less prone to error. You can't just, you are going to return back to them something, and that something is probably going to make sense to some extent. Um, and then the generative approach is a lot more expressive, but you can also run into the failure case where you return some random string of words and emojis, and it doesn't really mean anything. Um, and that's kind of where your accuracy really needs to be high. Now, Kylie has taken the second approach because of the sec of the expressive power of generative models, and that's you know how they're able to tackle the problem of personality. Got it. Oh wow! So you actually you take all of this in for each person, each each rep in the customer service segment of that company. Yeah. You try out what a handful, tens, hundreds of models for each one, and kind of you know see which one has your best loss. It's a bit it's a bit more sophisticated than yeah. just trying out a bunch. We do yeah. a little bit of pre-processing to kind of make an educated guess about which models would be the best. Uh, but yeah, we do employ. Uh, different models to see, you know, what does optimize, you know, what minimizes our loss, what optimizes our performance. And we can measure optimizing our performance based on, okay, well, let's take, let's say you have a thousand tickets that you've answered. Uh, I'll take 800 of them and I'll train the model, right? Then the remaining 200 are things that you've said, but the model has never seen before. So to the model, they're brand new. But we, the humans, know that it's not brand new. It's still part of the same ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So we take the model, train on 800 training sets, training samples, use it to try to predict the 200 that have been left out, and then we compare. Because we have the answers, and then we have what the model set, and we can compare. And I don't know if you're familiar, but that's basically yep, what's called a train-test split. Train-test you know, split, Cross-validation, yeah. mm -hmm. popular in statistics, works in machine learning. Yeah. <laughs> that's, how we, that's one way that someone could validate an AI machine learning model. Got it. So those inputs coming in and the outputs coming out, they have to be very expansive to be able to capture this, you know, what we are, what we call personality. And this is, this, this is true across data science, right? You talk about a model that tries to capture a system, whether that system is a person talking or, you know, trying to map out drone pictures for irrigation and farms. <laughs> No, I'll say shit in, shit out. Shit data in, shit, shit data out. Shit data out. You know, you yeah. want to input the best data possible. Usually, you want to employ more data rather than less data. Uh, wider and deeper. Of course, there are limits to that. It's a whole other episode. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you can read my book about that. <laughs> but that's really what you want to do to get the best model possible. Got it. You know, yeah, I could imagine that. That did you expect to hit this problem, this personality problem coming in? Oh yeah. You guys knew right off the bat that, that personality is going to be something these these customers would really you know kind yeah. of care about, especially for you know like DiGiorno versus AWS. Yeah, that's one of the that's one of the main things that not only did our customers tell us we kind of guessed mm -hmm. because yeah. Yeah. there's a lot of chatbots out there. There have been a lot of like, you know, Watson chatbot as a service, and there's a lot of chatbots out there. But again, what they do is they're really good at answering monotonous, simple questions in the same voice for everyone, mm -hmm. right? So that's old, well, I mean, old news. Again, yeah. air quotes, yeah. viewers, yeah. old, yeah. <laughs> uh, but what's interesting is, well, why can't we answer the question, but with the flair of DiGiorno? Why can't we answer your question with emojis? 
Why can't we solve this problem in the voice of the customer, not just solve the problem, but you're now, you're, you know, not happy with the experience. And that's really where the key is, is the customer experience. Yes. We don't really, we don't usually like to use the words customer support when we're like talking to our potential customers mm-hmm. because it's not just support. Of course, you're supporting them, but it's about their experience. You know, there's a lot of data that suggests that millennials and the kind of the younger crowd who are engaging on Twitter, engaging on chat and text-based uh, services, they're expecting quick and empathetic responses within, you know, 60 minutes or less, 24-7. That's a tough order. That's a tough order. order. (laughs) That's a tough order for these companies. And these companies who employ data centers all over the world, customer support centers all over the world, even they can't keep up because, you know, they can answer the questions quickly, but then they got to move on to the next person. But then, you know, what you've done is you've shafted the first person, you've answered the question, said, okay, bye, then you hung up. So now they, you know, I feel bad about it. But you Mm. want them to have a good experience with your customer. Again, there's more, even more data that suggests <laughs> there's literally trillions of dollars being lost due revenue lost due to people leaving because of poor customer support. Oh, fascinating. So it's not just can we service your customers, it's can we make sure they don't churn, they don't leave you because they did not enjoy their customer experience when they were talking to you. Fascinating. You know, all of this, uh, you know, it's kind of switching gears into there's all this there's all this paper, these papers about and research into uh, customer service being really pivotal to a company. Now, let's talk a little bit about when you first went to the cu- these new customers, you came with no data of your own, no real model of your own. How did you I love asking this question. How did you get that first the first pilot? How did we get that first pilot? Yeah, man. Actually, one of the first things we encountered is exactly yeah. How do we how do we prove this works? Yeah, how do you yeah. catch one or two, right? How do you prove this works without a customer? But to get a customer, right. you have to prove that it works. So, with actually a more interesting story than how did we get our first pilot is how did we even be able to walk into the door of anyone's office and say, hey, look at this. This is interesting. And the way we did that is through open public data. Oh. Yeah. I mean, we, we live in an age now where the types of data that's publicly available is uh, it ranges from hilariously you know, terrifying <laughs> of what's out there to extremely useful and, and very prominently in your face. People want you to use it. And I can think of no better example for customer support, public open data than Twitter. <laughs> I wow. mean, I've mentioned yeah. Twitter yeah. several times in this, in this interview. Uh, oh yeah, I I still tweet it. I, my, one of my friends works at Twitter, and uh, he told me to use uh, Twitter as a kind of a a way to interact with companies. I didn't quite believe him, but then I tweeted at Domino's, and they immediately tweeted back at me. And I was like, oh, sh- damn, it works! Like, there's they're on it. <laughs> they are on it, and they know because again, the people who are tweeting are those younger generations, the millennials, who are expecting the quick response. Yeah, wow, that's so. When we needed a lot of you go to Amazon, I I. Pretty sure if you go to like Amazon Twitter handle, you'll see li- millions, millions <laughs> of back and forth conversation. <laughs> and they're all public. You can just look at them. So when we thought, hey, how do you how do you prove to Amazon that you can do this? Well, we have their data. We have data that people are asking Amazon. So why don't we build our models on that? And that was kind of the birth of the, what we call the Twitter clones. So 
now when we go to conferences and we go we walk into a meeting and we're trying to propose this to a customer, you know, you should use this. Before we even walk in the door, we say, hey, we've scraped, you know, six months of your public Twitter feed, data everyone has access to. And what we've done is we've created a Twitter handle. So we made our own Twitter handle. So if it's, I'll, I'll use Amazon. We made Amazon underscore AI. Cool. Tweet at it. Yeah. So people pull out their phones and they tweet, you know, tweet a question at Amazon that you think a question would go on Amazon. And everyone's tweeting at Amazon AI. And then all of a sudden, they're getting tweets back within seconds. They're getting these tweets back. Some of them are great. Some of them are not great. But now we have a conversation. Wow. Now we can say, like, hey, well, this is free. This cost us literally nothing. No so, one's in there. That, wow. Yeah. That and is... That's when. That's when they listen. You know, there are there's a, there's a con there's there's a couple of core concepts that I that I'm gonna keep coming back to in my podcast, and that's one grit, hustle, persistence, and you just gave me the best validation story I've I've heard. I think just first off, going in public data sets, right? They're all around us. If there was anything to exemplify the hustle of a machine learning you know, engineer, it is to go into public data sets and prove something. Yeah. Right? They're they're all around us and Twitter of all things to walk up to someone and say, Hey, do you want to use us? Uh, you can try it right now. <laughs> yeah. Is is pretty phenomenal. So that's really a power off to you guys. It's powerful. I mean you can walk into a sales meeting with a deck, with numbers, with white papers, with case studies, and we do that too. But you know it always always hits home is put your hands on it. Touch it. Kinesthetic. You yeah. know, the styles of learning. A lot of people, are, they need to use it to believe it. So we say, hey, tweet at it. It's yours. And then we say, hey, we're going to lock this Twitter handle in 24 hours. So you need to share this with as many people as possible in your organization within 24 hours. Because in 24 hours, we're turning the Twitter handle off. So now they have an incentive to show it to as many people as possible. Oh, I love that scarcity yeah. right there. And again, hey, yeah. So at the start of this episode, I wanted to point out how Sinan validated the product, and this is how he did it, through freaking Twitter, one of the largest public data sets out there, and man, this was genius. I can't tell you how kind of you know inner mind blown I was listening to him describe this to me. Everyone should really take note of it, and also just remember that there are these data sets out there. You can use them in unique ways, Twitter is just one, but if you kind of Google, hey, public open, you know, data sets, uh, there are a bunch out there. So kind of play around and see what you can find. How did some of that software translate? Did you use this as an R&D ground on some of the models you were building? Like, did you did you do all of this? Because in this in this world, you know, there's there's no multiple agents. There's Twitter is a single agent, right? They're, they're one rep unless you can you, you can't split it like that. So I'm guessing you. I'm guessing you kind of built out one thing for uh, this this validation. Let's let's build out this this ML model for to bring customers in, and then at the same time, as soon as they said yes, you had to go out and then build a. How 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 different were those were those two uh, yeah. solutions? Actually, Twitter gave us the answer again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you go to most customer support Twitter handles and you look at their responses, I promise you can do it right now. It, it, it would work. Most of the twit the tweets back, they sign them. The agents at the end will write something like up carrot SO. And oh. that's actually the agent signing with their initials. So uh. that the company knows who responded, because like you said, it's a single agent. Mm-hmm. 
So you do want to know who actually said what, so they sign it. Wow. So you can actually separate it out. So, oh, we, that's so at the that's same time, great. Twitter can give us a single agent, but we can also separate them out. So we created both of those systems at the same time. Wow, got it. Oh, perfect. I was, yeah. I was, I was in my head. I was like, oh, it sounds like these guys just built out two solutions, but nope, perfect right there. Yep. So one of the things I was uh, really curious about was was this concept of um, you know. In with machine learning companies, you can ha- you can build products, or you can uh, for like singleton products, train on a lot of data, you know, create an API for it or something like that, and people hit it. And it's one model. You guys have sounds like hundreds to thousands of models. How does that? How do you know? Are there any pitfalls with that approach? Um, anything that's really kind of you weren't expecting, or did it just kind of just it, did it roll smoothly? Not as smooth as I would have liked. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Yeah, one of the big pitfalls, first of all, if you make that one giant model and you give it as an API, technologically speaking, the way that works is you have a server, that server holds that model in memory, in the RAM, and then when you hit it on the API, it's already there, available, so you just use it quickly and send the answer back. But because we have thousands, you can't hold all of those things in memory. And if you did, that would cost an exorbitant amount of money. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, going <laughs> to ask about your cost next, but please. <laughs> so, so what you have to do is you have to figure out a way to basically effectively, efficiently store and pick up the models at a moment's notice. So a single machine, a single server, has the power of a thousand models because it only has to remember one model at a time. So that kind of uh, queuing of models is something that we had to develop immediately out of the gate. Wow. Because, yeah, we can't just store everything in memory because that would just cost too much money. So we don't do that. Yeah, I was going to say, so it was, a, it was a price concern right off the bat where... It, price, speed, it was a concern right off the bat. concern yeah. right off the bat. Got it. Got it. Well, what about the training time of all these? Because, you know, the other the other kind of advantage with a single model is... You control how it's trained, but for you guys, whenever you hit a new pilot, you have to train something new. How long mm-hmm. does that take? How long does it take for the customer to end up getting, you know, to, to, to be able to use what you're going to give them? Is this- yeah, that's a big, that's a big ask from a lot of our, our customers. Yeah, how long does this take to set up? You know, mm-hmm. when will we see results? And we find that a lot of people in this space, uh, they tell people that it'll take a month to really set everything up and get everything going and see results. We wanted to do better. Mm-hmm. We cool. we decided to do better. Yes, <laughs> I, should I phrase, like it. I should rephrase yeah. that. So what we did was we spent a couple months of R and D, uh, and we figured out okay, how do you how do you make these models, these AI models, converge quickly, but not just quickly, still accurately. And then once they're trained, how do you keep them up to date? Because once you train the model, you have new, cust- yeah. new tickets coming wonder, in. Are you, you should keep learning and we do that's called online models online models are models that learn on the fly Uh, so we have to incorporate that as well so we got our we got our onboarding time down to the most i've seen is seven days wow and that's and that's cloning you know dozens one point hundreds of people wow so we've gotten that down to at most seven days of onboarding. But of course, that's always going to be different depending on how much data and how many agents. Uh, but we, we are looking at at least double 
the uh, efficiency of our our competitors in this in the actual space of onboarding the customer. Wow, I was just gonna say I you know eh, again my naive solution would have been well you know you'll train it you'll you'll just take the data in batch it together and then you know retrain your models every week or something like that. The fact that you guys are using online models and you know stream training as you go yeah. is 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 pretty amazing. You know it's also I, really useful because uh, a lot of customers ask the question. Well, what if there's a new question that pops up? Mm-hmm. You know, what if something that we've never seen before pops up? Kylie can't help. We say, you're right, Kylie can't help until a human answers it a few times because Kylie's always learning. So when Kylie sees a new question at 9 a.m., she's ready to go by 10 a.m. Wow. So wow. that's something, I mean, because this happens all the time. You know, you, you, in the bad cases, you know, maybe United has another incident. <laughs> Yeah. How many times yeah. the scorpions yes. get mentioned or things like that get mentioned? Yeah, what was that airlines where someone got someone got dragged off and punched in the face? Oh, it was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Sounds like you have a t- you're having a bad experience. I'm yeah. sorry there. Yeah. Put some ice and uh, steak on uh, your yeah, eye. Yeah, you near any ice? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Kylie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, but yeah, that that ability to learn on the fly is really important for our customers too. Got it. Wow. You know, I'm just gonna I'm gonna say it. I was gonna talk to you about what competitive advantage is, and um, is it a tattoo. That is that, bring up? I was gonna yeah. I was gonna say competitive advantage tattoo. You just went from yeah. Are you starting your B round with that picture of that tattoo? Because literally the shit. first deck, <laughs> the first deck of the slide is me giving. It's on my bicep. It's just me just like flexing with like Oilers identity on it, oh, and man. then all the investors are like, "How much money do you?" Yeah, you just, they, just, they, just, they just take it out of their wallets just, and just start Brent blank checks yeah. thrown at your feet. Making it out to cash is okay? Yeah. So, yes, it is. Yeah, you can put it right. So, you know, the, the two kind of big competitive advantages people talk about in, in the world of machine learning is either have the data or you have the talent. It seems like you guys are, uh, you know, I'll let you answer that. But uh, it seems like talent really seems to be um, the thing that's sticking you guys above the others. Like you said, the fact that you're going from a month down to seven days max for onboarding is pretty incredible. But um, are there any other you know competitive advantages you guys think you guys have? When yeah, when I when I think of competitive advantages, the first thing that always comes to mind is that individual empathetic responses, yeah. right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of people love love to compare us to chatbots, and I totally get that. Uh-huh. It, it makes sense. It's the closest thing that you've heard <coughs> in the news that is similar. So that's one big difference, right? We're not a chatbot. We're an empathetic, individualized AI. Uh, other than that, yeah, the onboarding talent, we love to hire great talent. You know, we hire a, out of dev boot camps. We hire out of Berkeley AI labs. We hire out of, you know, a lot of these great facilities for the best minds in the business today. Also, as far as data is concerned, we also like to think we have an advantage there. Mm-hmm. Because like I mentioned before, we're not just looking at the text we're looking at times, we're looking at style, we're looking at personality. So the data that we're actually creating from our customers is unique. So I think I like, I like to think that we have an advantage in both data, talent, and in the fact that we're an individual personalized AI. Got it, got it. And do you guys, uh, so, so one, of the, one of the things I was uh, interested on was whether you guys use cross, cross-training almost between, like transfer learning between models. Do you, you know, you, you learn uh, one, a couple models from, let's say, AWS. Okay. Would that apply, would that ever apply to something like DiGiorno? Maybe not, um, you know, I, I know personality is a huge, a huge kind of overarching theme. Anything 
underneath it, you know, at a more basic level for for, for that or no so, cross pollination at all? Well, okay, there's two ways to answer that. Yeah, <laughs> there's is it possible and should we do it? Cool. Yeah, <laughs> is it possible transfer learning? Of course. That is a relatively new kind of burgeoning field. The the idea of transfer, mm-hmm. basically going from one personality to another, and that's well, I'll say it's new in deep learning, but it's not new in math. So there's actually, if you take a college level linear algebra, there's a theorem that's stated that says, well, if you can take two vector spaces and there's a transformation between them, you can represent that transformation as a matrix. And that's actually a real, it's basically why linear algebra exists, Mm -hmm. is that if there is a transformation, if there's a function between two spaces, there's a matrix that captures that transformation. Replace spaces with personalities, replace matrix with neural net. Yep. And you've basically yep. just put, taken that theorem and put it on steroids. If you're going to take the personality of AWS, run it through a series of matrices, aka neural network, you should be able to get the personality of Staples or Walmart. Now, that's the is it possible. And that we're currently, and I say we, I mean Kylie, we're currently R&D phases of that. Because, should we do it? Privacy, security, mm-hmm. big deals. I got my master's in cryptology. Like I understand, I understand people's need to feel safe with their data. So one of the big promises that we always make and keep is that we don't use your data to help anyone else but you. Because your data is yours. You deserve full 100% access to it at all times. We even offer a service where you don't have to store any of your data on our servers. So there's zero redundancy for data raw data on their end yeah yeah so is it possible i believe so should we do it gray area gray area there's there uh, yeah privacy, that out. privacy data sensitivity uh really helps that i was just i was gonna ask uh you know first customers data super sensitive it's mine it must help that you have a master's in cryptology to <laughs> kind of uh to kind of ease their their troubles well, you know how to you know how to secure it up or I, that play, I, that play at all or ironically ironically my master's thesis was using homomorphic elliptic curve cryptography for wait for it large oh, scale obviously. large scale crypto, got it for large scale <laughs> secure voting systems oh i know <laughs> okay. maybe i should have stayed in that field yeah. i feel like maybe i could have helped a little bit yeah but i know actually yeah that was my master's thesis yeah, was think... on I definitely blame you for Trump. That's um, fine. Hey, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'll fix it. It's been uh, fix it. wow. It's uh, it's been it's been fascinating to learn about Carly AI. You know, I I think the Twitter the Twitter thing has just blown me away. The fact that you guys use that to validate, just show them right off the bat. So why enterprises? Why not? Uh, or, or enterprises? You know, one of the obvious reasons is hey that's where the money is but do you think you're ever going to go to um kind of smaller businesses like you said if you can you know if they have a twitter you could just kind of almost give them something for free to test out you know smaller a great little trial period smaller to a point i mean you think about enterprise companies they have a need there's a need for this an enterprise company that that's yeah the money is there but they need this mm-hmm. they're feeling the struggles of that trillion dollars lost of churn through customer support Smaller companies, they usually don't get enough volume to ratio of the number of people answering the tickets. So can we help them? Yeah. They don't really need it, though. That third just goes down to 
Yeah, and they have the people to solve it, so they don't feel the burning need to automate and to make this more efficient. Got it. So the reason why enterprise, it's not really the money, it's really that they need this the most. Got it. You go to a two-person startup, and you ask them, hey, you know, why do you feel the need? And they'll say something like, we answer all the questions because we're the founders. We don't need to automate this because if we automate this, we're not going to talk to our own customers. And like I said in the very beginning, where do you learn? Where does a founder learn everything? Their customers. Yeah. So we don't want to automate them. We'll go to the enterprise because they're they're feeling this need that we can solve and fit very nicely into. And of course, sure, yeah, they have the budget for it. Yeah, yeah. but, but uh, <laughs> can't deny that. <laughs> totally, hundred. We're not a not for we're not a not for profit company. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the actual it's funny the cut the phone number at the company I work at right now it just goes straight to my friend's uh, cell phone. <laughs> so, exactly. You know, you just you want to learn from it. Yeah. Totally. Under, as a from an entrepreneurial perspective, you want that feedback ASAP right away. Yeah, and I'm sure if you ask you know, him or her, you want to automate this, they'll say. No, no really. I need to listen to my customers. That's <laughs> <Yeah>. the point. <laughs> That's why it goes to my personal cell. <laughs> well, yeah, it's been phenomenal learning about Kylie. Uh, I had a, you know, just kind of stepping away from Kylie now, you know, Sinan putting his just entrepreneur hat on for advice to other. It's glued, it's glued on, on at this point. It's glued on, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you had to, if you had to tell someone coming into who's making a, an entrepreneur coming in for a machine learning sort of business. Anything she should keep his mind on, um, things he should watch out for, you know, kind of success failure modes that you've hit? Yeah. <laughs> the answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I like to go to a lot of business plan competitions. To business, what was it? Business plan competitions business for plan. colleges uh, to either judge or just watch because mm-hmm. I like listening to other people's ideas. And the number one question I always have for them, uh, <laughs> two questions. One, You've said you use machine learning. Can you tell me how? <laughs> and you laugh, but you'd be surprised how many people cannot answer that question. Please, please, please. If you do not use machine learning, don't tell people you use machine learning because it's only going to hurt you in the end. It's not a bad thing to not use machine learning. That's not, <laughs> that's not a bad thing. So do not feel that you need to say that you use machine learning or AI. If you don't need it, don't use it. That's one. Oh my god, I love I love that lesson. I uh, I was talking with one of the guys I work with, and you know he was just kind of appalled at the number of, of companies out there that'll just kind of use smoke and mirrors to say they use machine learning, use fancy words like that, but you look under, take a peek under the hood, and you know fancy UI yeah. wrapped around you know maybe a classification thing. You've got nothing. a Lamborghini covering a Ford Fiesta, but yeah. <laughs> the thing is, you shot yourself in the foot. Congratulations, you've played yourself. Said by the famous DJ Khaled. Uh, <laughs> yeah, another one. And another one. Oh. <laughs> I, will, I will give you another one. Because the second piece of advice. <laughs> the second piece of advice. So if you don't use machine learning, do not be ashamed to say, we don't use machine learning. We don't need it. We, we're a viable company without it. We know you're a viable company without machine learning. <laughs> you don't need that. The second piece of advice is whether or not you use AI ML, how can you monetize the unique data that your company is using slash creating. Big example, years ago when I was teaching, uh, guest lecturing at um, Cary Business School, Hopkins Business School, I was doing the business plan kind of day. They're giving a business plan pitch. And one of the companies was, at, it wasn't really AI, but it was a, it was a pu- company that would take in an image 
of a skin, person's skin, on a certain segment of their skin. And why they would either use AI or send it straight to a doctor to give an informal diagnosis of what that thing on your skin is. And their pitch was, if we ask enough doctors, we can feed this data through a neural net and we can make an AI model out of it. Like diagnose the skin to which is and I was like, fine. But then my question was, why is that your end goal? You already have a functioning business here. I mean, if you have ideas for the model you want to scale, you have your own, you know, medical issues to deal with. But my question was very simply, you have all this data now, you have all these images, mm-hmm. and you have all these informal diagnoses. Is there another way you can monetize that without having to make an AI or a machine learning model? And they thought, I've never thought of it. Well, why would we? I was like, that's a revenue stream. So whether or not you use machine learning or AI, can you monetize the data that is unique to you? Can you resell that data to hospitals? And can education you, facilities. To yeah. medical facilities, mm-hmm. to clinics, to medical schools. What you're creating is this, you know, like basically uh, a flashcards for med <laughs> students to learn from. And whether or not you pass it to an AI model, by all means. And I said, that's a great idea. You should do that when you have enough data. But why are you waiting for that? You could do so many other things in the meantime. So if you don't use machine learning or AI, don't be afraid to say that you don't use it. Whether or not you use machine learning or AI, can you monetize the data that you're creating or using that's unique to your company or industry? Wow, man. The answer is yes, so do that. I can, <laughs> I can, I can really see the glue on the outside of that hat just, yeah. just <laughs> right there. No, that was beautiful, that was beautiful. You know, uh, I, I wanted to give you the last opportunity to talk, you know, the people here listening, clearly interested in, in machine learning, and uh, Sinan has a book. So I do? tell us, yeah, oh, oh yeah, good. oh yeah, here, yeah, the book, I just saw, what, what's the book? Tell oh, us. Oh good, oh good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. my first book yeah. came out in December 2016, so pretty recently. It's called The Principles of Data Science. It is a 400-page textbook, it's only 40 bucks on Amazon, it's not that much. And it takes you from zero to TensorFlow in 400 pages. So it, it, it's made for, I, I like to call it, it's for the MBAs who want to learn data science. It's for people who have a pretty good mind. They have a very good mind, but they just don't know how to code and they're not great at math, right? So if you're someone who wants to learn data science, and this is a data science book. Mm-hmm. So it, it is machine learning and AI, but it's also probability, statistics, the fun, hypothesis some of the testing, fundamentals, fundamentals of data, yeah. data manipulation, yeah. data uh, cleaning, mm-hmm. uh, data mining, all of this is covered in the book. And it's a great reference, I'm told. <laughs> I'm told <laughs> that it's a very great reference uh, for all things data science that you'll need to do in Python. So I definitely recommend it's on Amazon, Principles of Data Science. Pick one up. I'll sign it for you if you buy it. Uh, just <laughs> tweet at me. I'll, I'll, I'll sign it for you. Hey, if I'm near you, I'll sign it for you. <laughs> it's a great book. Uh, yeah, check it out. You know, so as, as a final question, I just want to leave it with, uh, what do you think, uh, what's the coolest thing happening right now in the machine learning AI space? What's the, what's some of the stuff that really gets you excited? You know, you're a, you're, you're, you're an academic at the end of the day. You know, you start, you start <laughs> at least you started there. You have. <laughs> okay. I'll. I'm not going to say a text example because that's what you're expecting because that's what I do for a living. <laughs> uh, but I'll, I'll put on my teacher hat for a second because I 
used to be a, a lecturer at Hopkins and then, you know, high school teacher. I used to teach in prison systems. Oh, I, wow. I love teaching. It's why I write books. It's why I do all this. I love teaching. The number one thing that excites me about machine learning and AI is the number of people who previously had no idea about stats, probability, coding, who are able to all of a sudden actually use machine learning for a greater purpose. And that happens through project, uh, products like dev boot camps. They learn it themselves. You know, they find people who know it and they have these ideas on how to use it. Uh, they're empowered by companies like Watson. They actually provide uh, chatbot as a service. Like you make your own chatbot by knowing nothing. So I think what's actually really exciting to the most is the ability to put AI in the hands of people who truly don't understand it, but could benefit from it. And you know what, Kylie, you know, we're putting AI in the hands of customer support reps who previously had no idea of anything, anything like this. But now all of a sudden they're, you know, like you said, super agents, super reps. So I think that's what excites me the most is that putting AI and machine learning in the hands of people who barely even knew what this was six months ago. That's really awesome and resonates a lot. I also heard there's another way you can uh, read this book called Principles of Principles data, of data, something data science zero to TensorFlow, guys. Zero, zero to TensorFlow. TensorFlow in 400 pages. All right, it's worth it. Well, uh, Sinan, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. <laughs>